0: Alright, so this is actually week seven of our series on prayer. Um, If you missed any of the previous week's messages, you can check them out on YouTube, the website, um, wherever else we post our messages. Uh, So far we've talked about, let's see, adoration, forgiveness, confession, restitution, praise, faith, and then today, everyone's favorite part of their prayer time, petition. So petition just being asking or requesting something of God. And so if you're with me, open up your Bibles to Luke 11. Uh, That's where we're going to camp out pretty much the whole morning. So after we read our verses, just stay open there because we're going to keep referencing those. And so this is Jesus speaking, and he's teaching on prayer, starting in verse 9. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? All right, let's pray real quick and then we're going to get started, all right? So Father God, we love you, we thank you. We thank you for this awesome morning to spend time in your presence. We thank you for meeting us here. We thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers. You actually want to hear from your children, Father God. You listen to us, you love us, and you respond. We love you, God, and we thank you. Silence out the distractions and just let us hear what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so time for some real talk. I don't know if you guys know this, I am a skinny man being at a church with a whole bunch of much larger men it just makes that fact more obvious to everyone around you when you're a skinny man people just assume that i'm in like top physical condition that after this i can just go run a marathon and then i'll be fine and then i eat healthy all the time and whatever but i actually have a a whole laundry list of health issues that i'm dealing with so it's like It's ridiculous, to the point where it's like almost comical. It's like all stuff you've never even heard of, right? So whenever I'm not feeling well, it's never um, like a cold. I never just get a cold. It's always something something crazy. And so the one example I want to use for us today is actually with my eyesight. So I have something called central serous retinopathy. I told you guys never heard of it. Sounds made up, right? So um, this is like a whole bunch of years ago. I just started the job that I'm at currently now, and I had no kids at the time. I had no responsibilities, and so it made it easy to save a bunch of money, and I was gonna actually get LASIK eye surgery for my eyes. They were a little bit fuzzy at the time. I was gonna get that repaired. And so I was at my last appointment right before I was about to get the surgery, and I'm doing a quick eye test. They just wanna make sure what your vision is so they know what to laser. And so you're looking at that eye chart with the big E at the top and then the small letters beneath it. And so when I covered my left eye, and looked at the chart. You could see around the chart, I could see that it, there was a chart, but in the middle, there was no letters. So I said, I don't, you know, I don't see anything. And the doctor was, I think you thought I was kidding or something? He's like, no, really, you know, not the E, but below. And I was like, I can't see anything. He had no idea what it was. And especially because it was just two weeks before that where I was in there getting tested for my vision and I was able to see, the blind spot wasn't there. And so I had to go to some specialist And long story short, I was diagnosed with central serous retinopathy. So it's basically, um, you get like this tiny little hole in your eye and it starts to, um, fluid starts to build up behind the retina in your eye. And so if it's anywhere near the center of your eye, which is used for vision, it like blocks and distorts your vision. Well, of course, I had it in the center of my eye. So it was like a, a blind spot right there. And because I was taking steroids at the time, for another one of my health issues, for uh, an autoimmune thing that I have going on, for whatever reason, that turned it from what uh, could have been like a temporary issue into a supposedly permanent one. So this is, what the, this is what the doctor compared my eye to. He said, you know how you can leave a cardboard box outside in the rain? It can still be used later on and function as a box, but it's never going to be the same. It's always going to be distorted. Like, super, super disheartening news. This is like the top eye doctor in New England, and this is what he's telling me. And now, 13 years later, so that's a third of my life, I'm still praying for my healing to come. Now, what did we just talk about in those verses, right? All I have to do is ask God. All I have to do is seek, and I'll find, and knock, and it'll be opened. Well, I've been doing that for a long time, so what's the deal? Um, And just so you guys know, like, I could have easily started this sermon with a whole bunch of Answered petitions about how God has blessed my marriage and grown it and saved it, how He continues to, um, you know, just bless my family, how He's used me in mighty ways in, in missionary work, and yet I'm up here talking about my blindness. So, kind of a downer to start off our Sunday, especially after that worship set, but just stick with me and we'll, we'll get to the good stuff in a second, all right? So, just before our verses in Luke that we read, starting in verse 9, the very beginning of the chapter is like the Um, it's like the abbreviated version of the Lord's Prayer that we've all heard and said probably a million times, right? So, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. So, the way Jesus starts off prayer is with reverence and praise for the Father, which we talked about previously, Um, and then after that, it's really just a list of petitions, right? So he's teaching us to ask for our daily bread, not just a piece of bread, but for all of our needs. He's asking for forgiveness, asking to not be led into temptation. You guys get the point. And so he then follows up this lesson with a parable and then the verses that we read previously. So we're going to get to the parable at the end of what I'm talking about today. But let's just uh, reread those verses starting in verse 9. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So two short verses, but there's a whole bunch of things that like, just jump right out when you read those two, right? So Jesus didn't suggest that we petition the Father in prayer. He commands it. So God wants you to go to him with your needs. So don't be shy and think he doesn't want to hear from you. He wants you to go to him and petition. He said, everyone who asks, seeks, and knocks now, this teaching was for um, his, his, Jesus' disciples, so it's directed at all of God's children, but the point remains, right? God doesn't grant the petitions of, like, you know, superhero Christians with full-time missionaries and pastors and apostles, whatever other titles that we like to assign each, ourselves. It's for all of God's children. Number three, Jesus gives us three commands, ask, seek, and knock. Well, attached to those three commands are six promises because our God gives to us in abundance, right? So ask, seek, and knock. It will be given to you. You will find. It will be open to you. Asking leads to receiving. Seeking leads to finding. Knocking leads to open doors. And then lastly, God makes himself accessible to his children, right? So Sherry and I have two little boys, Lucas and Noah. When daddy is with them, they have no problem asking me for anything that pops into their minds, no matter how ridiculous. If I'm in another room, they're gonna come seek me out to ask, and if I'm upstairs, you know, doing my job working on the computer, or seemingly their favorite time to interrupt me when I'm in the bathroom, they're gonna come banging on the door until they, I come out and they get what they want. And so sometimes we ask God for something, and we get that immediate response, right? And you can just feel his nearness, and it's awesome. Other times we pray and it kind of feels like he's distant, just like there's this barricade between us and him, but we can seek him out, he hears us, and we can just keep knocking. He's gonna open the door because our God is faithful and he makes himself accessible to his children on every level. Amen? So the second half of our verses, starting in verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? or if he asks for an egg, we will give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, I say this with all humility, but I'm a pretty good dad. And I learned how to be a good dad because I have a good dad. That's my dad right there behind my wife. Yeah. All right take it easy. He didn't deserve that much. (laughs) But look, my dad is the man. I love him so much. But I got some bad news for you, Papa. So despite all the good gifts that he's given me over the years, the love, the quality time, the wisdom, if you reread our verses right here, you're evil. But it's there, Papa. I mean, it's biblical. (laughs) Jesus said it. It's not me. So accept it. Um, But look, you know, Jesus isn't sugarcoating anything here. He didn't say, like, you who make some mistakes. He didn't say you who, I don't know, sins on occasion. He said you who are evil. And what Jesus is really trying to get across to us is, in comparison to our God, who is so holy and so pure, anything else in comparison is evil. Amen? So again, if my dad and I who are evil can give good gifts to our children, how much more does your heavenly Father want to give to you? And so whenever we pray, you always got to keep that at the forefront of your mind of who we're praying to. So just like Jesus taught us in the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, we're not praying to this distant celestial being who's just out in the cosmos there. We're praying to our Father. So for all you parents out there, you know that your hearts are tethered to your kids, right? So when they're down in the dumps, you're down. If they're up and having a great day and happy, your, your heart is full of joy. Well, where do you think that connection comes from? You were created in the image of God. So in the same way, his heart is tethered to his children, to us. And so again, I say, if I am evil and desire to give good gifts to my kids, how much more does God want to give to you? But we're not just talking to a father here. We're talking to the, the heavenly father who is omnipotent, meaning he's all-powerful. So Ephesians 3.20, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, he created the whole universe. Of course he can answer whatever little prayer you can throw out there, and far above and beyond what you can even imagine. We're also talking about a God who's omniscient, meaning he knows everything that's happened. He knows everything that's going to happen. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about his creation. He knows how many hairs are on your head. His thoughts for you outnumber the grains of sand. And if he knows everything about you, he knows what's best for you. So, look, if I gave my boys everything they asked me for, I mean, we'd be like, we'd be homeless sleeping in the parking lot of the trampoline park on top of a pile of candy and Pokemon cards. It, <laughs> it would not be in their best interest, or mine for that matter, to give them everything that they, they've asked me for. Um, so upon initially hearing Jesus' words that we just read in Luke, right, or the verses like in um, John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Doesn't it kind of sound like God's just going to hand over like whatever we solicit him for? If you just take those verses at at their word and not kind of understand the context. Petitioning God is not like uh, you know logging into Amazon and just clicking on a few things and then boom, it's waiting for you at your door. And if you really think about it, thank God that that is not how it works. Because sometimes in your earthly wisdom, you may think you're asking for a fish, but if you received it, it would have been a scorpion or it would have been a snake. And if you asked for an egg, it would have been a scorpion, right? So. For example, like, like where would you be if, uh, if God gave you that mansion that you declared as, oh, that's the house I'm going to live in someday, in like an underwater mortgage, bankrupt maybe? For, all right, for all the men, where would you guys be if God gave you that wife that you knew was the one back when you were like an idiot high school kid? Divorced? I don't know. Or just in an incredibly unhappy marriage? Um, where would you be if God gave you that job you thought you needed so badly? like maybe financially better off, but just full of anxiety and having no work-life balance. So that takes us to our first point for today. God gives by his wisdom, not your wants. A good father doesn't give his children exactly what they ask for, but sees the deeper need behind their request and will respond with what they should have asked for if they knew all that their father does. That was a long sentence. Grammatically, it's garbage, but there's good stuff in there. So I'm going to read it again a little slower for you. I'm going to break it down. A good father doesn't give his children exactly what they ask for. He sees the deeper need behind their request, and he will respond with what they should have asked for if they knew all that their father does. So it's bedtime in our house. My boys asked me to give them a package of Oreos. They might get like a, a healthy snack or something or Noah will always get his milk, but they're not going to get some junk food. As a father with a bad gut and, like, a bunch of fillings in my teeth, I know what's best for them. I'm not giving them that garbage. So you see what I'm saying? Like, God can't give us exactly what we ask for because he wants the best for us, right? He knows all the ramifications of what would happen if he did give you what you thought you needed. So this is, like, the best example I could find or could think of in the Bible. The night before Jesus was going to be crucified, he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? To the point God had just showed him what he's about to experience, and he's under like, such like, stress and pressure that he's, like, he's sweating blood, and he's crying out to the Father, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Well, we know what happened next. Jesus went to the cross. He did drink the cup of the Father's wrath the cup that we filled up with all of our sin and rebellion, he suffered the punishment that we deserve. Well, there's some verses in in Hebrews 5 that references uh, this night where Jesus is praying. In 5 verse 7, it says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Right? So Jesus is crying out to the Father, who could could have saved him from death in that moment. He's saying, God, please, there's got to be another way. Please save me from the suffering that I'm about to face. And according to these verses in Hebrews, God heard his son. God heard Jesus crying out, and yet he didn't give his son what he was asking for. He couldn't because there was no other way. The father knew what was truly needed in that moment, and we can see what happened in the verses after that, starting in verse 8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So because he suffered, because the Father allowed to happen what needed to happen, Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God, seated in glory, and all of us who obey have received eternal life, eternal salvation. Hallelujah. So where would we be if the Father did grant Jesus' petition in that moment, right? God knows his children, he knows what we need, and he keeps his promises. Do you guys believe that? Have you ever had a prayer that felt like it was unanswered? Do you truly believe it? Because when our prayer is, like, delayed like my healing is, or it doesn't come in, like, the way that you were hoping for, do you truly trust that God's will is best for your life. That's your homework for tonight. Pray about that and really think, where is your heart at right now with our God, right? So, I mean, where would I be if God healed my eye the first time that I prayed for it, right? I wouldn't have appreciated it nearly as much then as I'm gonna when he does heal me of what doctors have called incurable, and I've spent all these years, and I know for a fact as well if my life was nice and cushy and everything was smooth, I wouldn't have spent nearly as much time in prayer with God seeking his face. Amen? So there have been seasons where I've been super faithful, and I, you know, I knew that my healing was around the corner. There have been seasons where you know, I would, I've not been faithful. I lost belief that, that what was coming, was that God promised me was going to come, that God didn't even hear me. But through it all, there's a whole bunch of lessons. And that takes us to point two. Unanswered prayer shifts our wants to shape our hearts. So in um, 2 Corinthians 12, this is Paul talking. He's talking about the, the thorn in his flesh, right? So a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, this is the Apostle Paul praying, right? He's one of the most powerful men of God to ever walk the earth. He wrote a third of the New Testament, You'd think, like, if if God's going to answer anyone's prayer exactly what they asked for, probably going to be this dude. Well, three times Paul asked God to remove the thorn in his flesh. He asked, he sought, and he knocked. He wanted the thorn taken away so he could be more powerful in ministry, which he had, like, a good motivation behind his prayer, right? It wasn't like he's being selfish or anything. But God didn't give him what he wanted. God taught Paul through this that his grace, God's grace, is sufficient. So instead of Paul becoming more powerful in ministry like he was hoping, God saw the deeper need behind his request, and it was instead in Paul's weakness that Christ's power could shine through. Unanswered prayer just completely flipped Paul's perspective, and it kept him humble so he could better represent Jesus to all that he encountered. Now the more time that I've spent seeking and knocking in prayer, the more God's been able to reveal himself to me and the more my perspective has changed, and my, wa- my wants have shifted with that. So another quick testimony is like a handful of years ago, I don't know, maybe seven years ago or so, I went on a, a 24-hour retreat at the We Want More house in Bridgeport. If you've never heard of We Want More, I don't know, write that down, Google them later, and then sign up for the, the first retreat they have available. It's just a ministry uh, led by a whole bunch of people that intimately know Jesus. And so I'm sitting there, I'm talking to this brother, uh, this guy Bruce, about my eye, and I was saying, you know, I've really been like questioning my heart when I've been praying for, for my vision. And so if you know anything about me, baseball is by far my favorite sport. I love to play baseball, but without good vision, you can't hit a good pitch, and you definitely can't react in the field to make a good play. And I just missed playing ball, very simply. And so I'm thinking, you know, maybe I didn't get my healing yet because I was kind of being selfish about it. Like, I wasn't praying it because I wanted to glorify God in it. I just wanted to, to play baseball. And, you know, maybe God's just punishing me for having bad motivations. That is bad theology. That is not true. So Bruce, he, he like just, he's like this gentleman. He gently corrects me. And then he said words that I'll, I'll never forget. The father enjoys his son. God enjoys watching you play. Now, that might not mean a lot to you guys, but that was like the exact thing that I needed to hear in that moment. And so we talked a little bit more about healing and, you know, how sometimes it comes instantly, sometimes it's delayed and and whatever. But really, that brought like a whole deeper level of love for, for my God. So Psalm 37 says, "'The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives.'" Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. God delights in me like a sinful, selfish, prideful wretch like me. And like my eye is now, my view of God at that time was warped. God took well, like my physical blindness and he used it to speak a truth to me through of my spiritual blindness that I had to how good he really is. So God took unanswered prayer and shifted my heart's desire, not just to be healed, but wanting a deeper relationship with Him. Amen. Amen. Now, on the other hand, sometimes you're in prayer and God reveals something you maybe you know didn't want to hear. So it was a few years back again, and I'm praying and I'm I'm like laying it out for God. I'm giving Him the whole case, point by point, as to why He should heal me right then and there, because you know God needs me to convince Him to pour out His grace. Apparently. In retrospect, it's stupid, but at the time, I thought I was, I was going to get my healing right then. And so I'm saying, God, right? So if you heal my eye right now, you know, I'm not going to shut up about how good you are. I'm going to be singing your praises from the rooftop. I'm going to jump up in the middle of ser- a certain pastor's sermon and just start telling God about everyone how good you are and everything. And then Holy Spirit ever so gently reminded me shouldn't I be doing that anyways? Oh my gosh. It was like a dagger to my soul. It was unenjoyable. But, look, apparently in my mind, Jesus saving my soul from eternal damnation, that wasn't enough for me. God saving my brink from the, from the brink of collapse, my marriage, uh, that wasn't enough for me. I needed that one more blessing before I was going to then, re- then, really, I'm going to glorify your name. Right, God? Oh, my gosh. Sometimes being in the presence of a holy God really exposes the darkness in your heart that you didn't know was there. Now, I still want to be healed, but that conviction that was brought on by unanswered prayer has completely shifted my desires to really just glorify Him and show the world Him and take myself out of it, despite my messed up vision. So one thing I gotta clarify, though, I am not viewing my health issues as the thorn in my side, like Paul, that God's not gonna remove. Paul prayed three times and God told Paul the thorn was going to remain. I've prayed a thousand times for my healing and I've yet to hear that word spoken to me by Holy Spirit. Okay? So I'm going to see my healing come and I'm going to come up here and I'm going to tell you guys about it when it does happen. It's just delayed a little bit. But you guys, do you see what I'm saying though? Like what we might view as unanswered prayer, it's actually God. It's actually God giving us exactly what we needed and completely reshaping our heart as a result. So Isaiah 40, 31, But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So, all right, let's shift the conversation a little bit. I just spent your entire morning talking about unanswered prayer and how I'm not healed yet and totally bringing down the mood of the room. Let's start talking about some answered petition, amen? So we've already talked in the past few weeks about the keys to answered prayer. So coming to God in thankfulness and in gratefulness, coming with a clean, repentant heart, and coming in faith. If you don't believe what you're asking for can come, it's not gonna come. But there's one other key to petitioning God that's in our parable um, that I mentioned earlier, back in Luke. So starting in Luke 11, verse five. And he said to them, He will rise and give him whatever he needs. So, for some quick background on this parable, um, in these times, it was likely that the, the friend lived in, or the whole family lived in, like, just like a big one room house. Um, typically, the whole family slept together. Um, and, like, a, it was like a raised wooden structure because beneath that is where all the, the animals slept. And so, if you wake up one person, you're waking up the whole household, including the animals. Now, despite the inconvenience that that might cause, though, it would also have been uncommon for the neighbor to really have been turned away. Like, honor and hospitality back then were very important parts of the culture, and so the homeowner would have no doubt just felt compelled to open the door and help out his buddy, and he wouldn't have wanted to bring, like, any dishonor onto his household and really just simply would have wanted to honor his his friendship with the guy. And so the parable on prayer is not to say that... God is the homeowner, then he's like bothered by us coming to him in prayer. We already talked about that. He wants us to come to him with our petitions. It's really to say the homeowner, though he was super annoyed in that moment, still ended up giving the friend what he was asking for. So how much more will your heavenly father give us? We already talked about that as well. So here's what I want to focus on. It's those two words at the, in that last verse. Shameless audacity. So... Seemingly, every Bible translation had a different way of translating that. Um, Persistence, impudence, importunity. I don't even know what that one means. Boldness, shamelessness. Um, So really the reason, usually we go with the ESV translation up in here. I went with the NIV because it said shameless audacity. More so because I didn't understand what that meant. I didn't like it when I first read it. I said to Sherry a couple times, like I'm trying to use this parable in the sermon I'm doing. I hate this parable. I don't get it. I don't understand shameless audacity and how that works out. But, and if you think about it, right, on paper, shameless audacity isn't really, or doesn't it doesn't come across like a positive thing. So, all right, so I work at a a financial firm down in Greenwich, right? The owner of our company, um, he was, he might still be, I'm not really sure, the richest man in Florida. So shameless audacity is like if, Um, Tomorrow morning, I went to work, I marched into his office, and I was like, you know, hey, hey, bro, hey, my man, you know, I know you got a few billion in the bank. I saw you come in this morning at Rolls-Royce of yours. Yo, let me get that, and I just held up my hand, like, expecting he was going to put some keys in there. That sounds ridiculous. Shameless audacity is like, it's essentially like an over-the-top, persistent boldness with just no fear or regard for what the consequences are. So again, my initial reaction when I read this parable, I was like, this is nonsense. Like, we should revere God. We are undeserving of his presence and his blessings. We need to come into prayer humbly. And I wasn't, I wasn't wrong. I mean, read like James 4.10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. On the other hand, we read in verses like Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need, so come humbly in prayer, come boldly in prayer. It kind of seems like those things are conflicting, right? So that brings us to our final point today. There's no room for passivity or pride in prayerful petition. Did you like that alliteration? I thought that was pretty good, huh? And I didn't even stutter through it. So in the world's definition of humility, that's basically like, um, it's like a timid lowliness, right? It's like being a doormat for others, having little self-worth. Have you ever heard the expression, oh, I came from humble beginnings? It means like I came from nothing. That's what they mean by humility. Meanwhile, boldness is like being brash and like this, you know, arrogant self-confidence. If I work hard and put my mind to it, I'm going to achieve anything. I deserve everything that comes my way, you know, blah, blah, blah. So clearly, if you define humility and boldness in that regard... Like, they don't mesh. They don't coincide at all. But as Christians, we know where our help comes from. And we know who we are because we know who our God is. So like we talked about earlier, we need to recognize who we're praying to. Our God is the Almighty. He's perfect. He's holy. He's just. And so knowing that and realizing how imperfect we are and how dark our hearts can be sometimes, we have to come to God with humble hearts. Meanwhile, God is also our graceful and loving Father. So our boldness comes in knowing that as his children, he hears us, he delights in us, he wants the best for us, and he's going to respond faithfully because he keeps his promises. Amen? So in the light of what was just said, let's just take a quick, nook, uh, quick look at the, the neighbor here in the parable, and then we're going to try and explain what shameless audacity in prayer looks like. Because again, I'm still a little skeptical. So the neighbor, he was bold in his petition, right? So similarly, we can ask God for anything, no matter how big or impossible it may seem. So healing for my eye, you know, salvation for that family member that has a hardened heart that you know is just so far from God, for a small inner city church like Citywide to be able to afford a brand new building because we keep growing and we need that building, amen? So, again, be bold in your prayer. And the more, the bigger the ask, the more impossible the situation may seem. When that bold prayer is answered, all the more our God's glory is going to shine through the situation and through you. So Isaiah 43:20, I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. So the neighbor was bold in his petition. The neighbor was shameless in his petition. So you'd think the neighbor would be a little tentative, right? It's midnight. He's coming to bang on the doors, and he knows he's going to wake up the, his buddy's entire family. Yet he shamelessly walked right up and waited and sought and waited until he got what he was asking for. God doesn't want us to come to prayer with reservation. We come to him clothed in the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ knowing we are sons of the Most High King. Therefore, we can enter into his presence with confidence and without shame. King David said in Psalms 34, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. The neighbor was bold. The neighbor was shameless. The neighbor was persistent in his petition. So he bangs on the door, and his buddy says Don't bother me. Leave me alone. Well, the guy didn't go back home. He just stood there waiting until he got what he was asking for. Psalm 116.2. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I shall call upon him for as long as I live. So when we're knocking on heaven's door and ask for help or for blessings, we are to do so with an expectation that we are going to receive from our faithful father. Right? Like Jacob said, I will not let go until you bless me. This isn't some game of, of ding dong ditch. You guys know ding dong ditch. I know. Me and my brother know about ding dong ditch. When you bang on the door and like you run away and you go hide. Like and look, I get it. Sometimes you've knocked on that door so many times and it didn't open in, the, in your timing. And so to avoid disappointment, like you you might knock. Like you know, you still pray for that thing every once in a while. But you're knocking, but you're not waiting for the answer. Well. Jesus can't answer your petition if you're not there to receive it when that door opens. Amen? We are to knock in confidence and then knock again for as long as it takes until that door opens. Jesus waited patiently as he knocked on the door of many of your hearts and continues to knock for a whole bunch more of you guys to to be let in and become the Lord of your life. The least we can do is be a little patient in our knocking and wait for God to answer our prayers. Right? So just to sum this all up, God is our heavenly Father who wants the best for you, and he wants you to ask, seek, and knock in prayer. He is faithful, and you can expect to receive answers to your bold, persistent petition, though it might not be in your timing or in the way you expected. Amen? So to close this out, I'm going to actually read a quote from um, Charles Spurgeon. They call him the Prince of Preachers. I could have just read this paragraph and saved you guys like 40 minutes of your life, Um, but it's too late now. You guys are already stuck. So let's just do this real quick. So it is for God's glory to open his door of grace, and that is one reason why we are sure he will do so. We cannot expect him to do that which would be derogatory to his own honor, but we do expect him to do that which will glorify his sacred attributes. It will greatly honor the mercy, the patience, the love, the grace— the goodness, the favor of God, if he will open the door to such an undeserving one as you are. Wherefore, knock, knock since God delights to give. Knock at a door which every time it turns on its hinges, unveils his greatness. Knock with holy confidence at this present moment, for it shall be open to you. It is a door which may seem closed, but because it's a door, it must be capable of being opened. Amen. So all right, if everyone could just stand up with me. All right, for the next moment or so, I'm just gonna ask if you guys can just close your eyes and I want you to think, what is that one petition that you've been seeking God for? What is that one cry of your heart that feels like an unanswered prayer? What is that one thing that you need Is it a healing in your life like me? Is it for salvation for that friend? Let's take a moment and just rest in his presence for a second. We're gonna do some knocking in one minute. Now there's some of us in here who, Jesus is still knocking on the door of your heart, waiting to be let in. So this is going to be your moment. This is going to be your chance to open the door to him as well. To let him in and become Lord of your life. Those verses where it says Jesus is knocking, actually, in Revelations, it's not even for unbelievers. It's for believers in the church of, uh, I think it was Laodicea, who were considered lukewarm in their faith. They knew Jesus, but he wasn't let in fully into their heart. He wasn't let in to become truly the lord of their life to fully take over so we're going to pray in a second for everyone in this room we are entering into 10 days of prayer 10 days in the presence of god we are going to come expectant of what he is going to bless us with expectant that he is going to move expectant that lives are going to change so let's pray father god we love you we come before you humbly today we thank you lord that you hear us that you love us so much that you were willing to give up your son for us you showed you displayed our worth father by how much you paid to save your children lord you bankrupted heaven for us god We are eternally grateful to you, Lord. You don't owe us anything. And yet right now we are gonna come boldly before the throne of grace. And we are gonna ask you that the cries of our hearts are answered, Lord. We trust you. We believe, Lord, that you want to answer our prayers. We believe that you want to give us all that our heart desires and we also believe that you want the best for us, Lord. So Father, I pray for all of us in here who know you and love you and have been waiting on that answered petition, Father God. In the name of Jesus, we declare blessings over each and every person in here, Lord. We also take this time to lift up all those, Lord, who do not know you who are not yet considered children of God, Lord, but are right there. You've been waiting, Jesus. You've been waiting for them for so long. Today is that day. Today is that day that the door is gonna be opened. You're not gonna force your way in. They're gonna have to turn the knob and open that door, Father. So we pray, Holy Spirit, right now that your presence rests upon them in the name of Jesus that today is the beginning of a journey with you. We thank you, God. We believe you. And we know, Lord, that our healing, that our answered prayer, that our lost family member is gonna come to you. We are believing that it's gonna happen in the name of Jesus. We declare it over our lives today, Lord. We love you. We thank you for kicking off this morning today of 10 days of prayer in the right manner, and we love you, God, and we know that this is going to be an awesome move of your spirit over the city of Bridgeport. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right. With that said, thank you guys for coming this morning. Thank you for your support, and get out of here because it's almost time for the next service. Amen?